Hey guys, this is Danny Ferris from Ultimate Predator and Bowhunter Magazine and TV. Welcome to Kafaru Cast. You knocked that out of the park. <laughs> I thought you were going to start it off with, uh, hey all you cool cats and kittens. <laughs> <laughs> oh, shit. Uh, yeah, Danny came over. Um, he put eyeballs on my decoys and uh, grabbed a couple packs. Uh, so for those who don't uh, don't know, and we've talked, we, Danny's been on before and I've talked about the decoys before, but Danny owns Ultimate Predator Gear, which is the shoot-through decoy um, that you can strap on your riser. And you, it actually works pretty good on stocks. Just hold it in your hand as well. I, uh, you would have laughed last year. I Velcroed up a stick because we were in a hurry. <laughs> and then I got smart enough. I put it on my walking stick. Yeah. So the walking stick works pretty good because you just Velcro it up and I just would stomp it in the ground or whatever. But um, yeah, how things been going? How's business? How's uh, everything? Well, it's a crazy time, man. It's a crazy time for everybody, and uh, um, most of our issues are self-inflicted, uh, just not knowing what I'm doing, so to say, uh, uh, trying to figure out how things are going to go during that pandemic. Um, I was wrong about a few things. We oversold on a few things. I couldn't, I couldn't believe how well we did throughout that, you know? Yeah. Um, I honestly think that Every single person that walked into a store and saw empty meat shelves during that, who has ever even considered hunting before, all of a sudden was like, I'm going hunting this year. I want to learn how to do this. Uh, I, I want to be able to provide my own meat. And uh, between that and people just at home and bored and looking around and planning out their fall. I also think that a lot of people being on unemployment has something to do with it too, because they're like, oh shoot, if I'm going to be on un unemployment collecting, I'm for sure going hunting this year, you know? Extra so they vacation. sat at home and they were buying hunting stuff online. And it was, uh, it, it was, it was good. It's we I'm amazed at, um, how many people have, you know, well, we just had, I won't bring up his, his name, but a very a pretty well-known actor in, in Hollywood or, wherever actors are from messaged me on what spotting scope to get this morning. And oh, I'm yeah. like, Frank and Frank didn't know who he was. And I pulled up the movies and I was like, huh, but same kind of, you know, heard me on Rogan and wants to get into, and he wants to backpack hunt of all yeah. things, which is, which is cool. So, I mean, pretty wild. Yeah, no, that's, that's really cool. Um, I think that there's a whole new renewed interest in, uh, and in, in, sustaining your own your own meat you know yeah well i think uh we'll see how long it lasts but i think this was an eye-opener at the least right yeah. as far as that goes um probably won't be there's always going to be hatred towards hunting but i mean probably less than before just because it's kind of an eye-opener i had just posted those uh predators yesterday and i didn't get too much hate on it i got quite a few questions about hunting in general can you eat a mountain lion you know did you eat the wolf which i did not right and then you know sustain like numbers sustaining the numbers and the general population of ungulates and predator what, what was it that you i didn't see your post uh i posted multiple predators mountain lions wolves and bears and shit i've killed and, and just right. said my idea of conservation is giving the ungulates a chance to flourish or something sure um, then i hashtag conservation right no, I, I didn't and then he said uh do that he said <laughs> A few months after they're born, you're in there killing them. <laughs> <laughs> oh, shit. No, I make jokes about the conservation thing. Because not that conservation's a joke, but how many people jump on the conservation bandwagon to green social media 
likes and for those who have been participating in conservation for their whole lives, it's right. kind of funny that somebody all of a sudden starts hashtagging conservation, which is, I'm not going to get into that. But right, right. this whole thing now where people kind of an eye opener of, oh, you know, the beef is gone. Shit, where else can we get meat? Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, pretty yeah. W- pretty wild. Yeah, and everybody knows, you know, how healthy and lean wild game is, but it's funny you bring up predators and eating predators and everything like that. And um, I, I've been asked about mountain lions specifically several different times. And to tell you the God honest truth, the first time that I ate it, I, you know, just the, the knowledge that I was eating a cat was like the mental block yeah. was there. But once that was gone, man, that... That's good meat. Yeah, it's, it's not like, as good as like axis deer, but it's it's almost like kind oh, it's of a different. It's altered like chicken, pork. <laughs> yeah, yeah, kind you of. Know, it's it's hard to explain. It's a white meat kind of. Yeah, you know. Well, that's what the guy asked, and I said it reminded me a lot of the way chicken looks yeah. when we cooked it. Um, and it was good. That yeah, it was really good. Yeah, I, I think it's like a a, a lean pork yeah. is what it's like. But the the canines, man. Mm. Coyote's not for you. I do not think I can do that, man. Well, I got to tell you, a guy asked me, uh, you know, in a not polite way, you know, don't you kill what you eat? And I said, mostly. Or eat what you kill. Eat what you kill. Uh, Kill what you eat. Yeah. Whatever. Yeah. Yeah. You know. Dyslexic. Both. Um, Yeah. And I was like, well, when you put your dog down, did you eat it? And uh, he was like, (laughs) what? And I said, well, coyote dog, eh, you know, did you put it down did you eat it i did you ever trap a mouse did yeah you eat that fucker i was like i you know i there's there's a level where everybody's like okay well that that will pass you yeah. know what i mean like raccoons whatever yeah not probably not gonna eat a raccoon yeah, not survival. supposed to right yeah um don't they what, have a they bunch of parasites and shit yeah um well i have a hard time with anything that eats carrion you know yeah so coyotes even bears i you know i've had lots of bear sausage that i like but eating like bear steaks man i have i have a hard time with that just because they'll find the most rotten nasty rancid thing that they can find and just roll around in it and devour it you the know? good thing like with spring bears is they, they're eating grass right yeah. if you, yeah. you know and i would have to say i've eaten a lot of spring bears and they definitely taste quite a bit better than a fall bear yeah absolutely <laughs> but you know trying to explain that to people um the circle of life is very unique for me at times because i have to stay you know patient and and you know you don't want to come off as a dick you know yeah. and one of the things like uh you know you i think aaron nielsen said it best you can't stop time uh-huh. and you look at like that white rhino. There's that he, the guy went to, to he paid to go kill it, and it, they're they're endangered. Which I get that part, but it was actually a negative towards the ecosystem or the population because he was beating the shit out of all. He could not breed because he was too old, but he was not letting the younger rhinos breed male bright rhinos. So he was a detriment to the population, right? And monetary gain obviously. I mean, I'm not into shooting rhinos and giraffes and shit, but if that's your thing, I'm not against it. It's just I'm not going to go, you know, too right. much money. I'm going to go kill a mule deer or something. Right. But I get it. And, you know, the local village, they get all the meat and everything from it and they get the money. So if it's going to die in six months to a year and it's not letting all the other males breed, common sense would say that's a, a good decision. Mm-hmm. That dude got death threats, had to pull his kids out of school. It was crazy. Well, it's because people don't understand it. I mean, they just see Madagascar on TV and, you know, you're shooting Melman. 
(laughs) And, and I get it. I, I understand why it's so hard for them to accept, but if they, if they took the time to look into the, uh, into the actual particulars of it and what you're doing for that community over there, um, Mm -hmm. you know, it's, it's so funny, whether it's the, whether it's the lion stories that go around and everything, you talk to those local villagers and they are so thankful that somebody's over there doing that for them. You well, know, I, I try to break it down to a, uh, a, a human or, or the human population. If you've got um, a, a murderer, a, a, you know, a psychopath, right, that's killing everyone in your small group, yeah, um, you might need to take him out of the population. And in the case of this rhino, uh, he, it's not letting other rhinos breed. And so when people say, how can killing help the population? Well, if you look at it that simple, it doesn't make any sense. But if you actually understand how, you know, wildlife management works and, and how wildlife works, like I was trying to explain to people the other day that male black bears and grizzlies kill the cubs so they can breed again. And mm-hmm. they didn't believe me. And I'm like, oh, I've watched them yank the head right off a cub. They fuck, they do it. They want to have sex again. Oh, so yeah. they'll kill the cubs so the mom goes back into estrus. People that don't know that or don't understand or don't believe it, they're voting, you know, they're they're going off emotion, not sure. off of common sense. Sure. Yeah. And if they ever see a video of it, you know, there was a video that went around a while back of a grizzly bear digging a, a sow black bear and her cubs out of a den. Oh, Lord. Oh, it was vicious. <laughs> it was vicious, dude. And I mean, it, never before did I want to kill a grizzly bear so bad in my life. You know what I mean? It was like, man, that was just wrong. That was wrong. These little cubs screaming while they're being pulled out of that hole. It was horrible. Clay's dad was on a hunt with Billy Moles, and uh, they were watching a grizzly, and you just see it all of a sudden. It steps on the body, and you see it yank the head right off. And, uh, you, you know, when you're when you Colorado, for example, if you pull into, let's say, the Maroon Bells, yeah. signs everywhere, you know, about bear issues. They're jumping out of the dumpsters. You can't go in the wilderness without a bear canister. You go up there to scout mule deer. You see 10 black bears on one hillside feeding. There's a bear problem, but then you post a photo of a dead bear. You have all these people, aren't they extinct? You shouldn't be shooting those. And it's like, how can you really, you know, how are you going to be able to teach that many people? It's, it's difficult to help them understand. That's the problem. I just posted something two days ago, three days ago, um, because I was watching the news that night and there were two bear attacks here in Colorado on that day. One of them was a lady walking home from work in Manitou Springs gets attacked by a bear. The other one was a dude in Aspen. Bear breaks into his house and attacks him in his kitchen and almost kills him. <laughs> and, you know, I said, why, why do we not have a spring bear season again? Oh, I forgot. And I'm not going to say what I put after that because our state's full of blank, blank, blank. Yeah. Um, but, you know, it got left to, uh, it, it was put up on public ballot in the 90s, I think. Yep. And... All they had to do was run a couple of commercials, you know, talking about boo-boo and, you know, the, the baby bears being orphaned, which is the exception to the rule. Not to say it doesn't ever happen, but it, usually it doesn't happen. That's not the norm at all. And now we have bear problems all over the place. You know, when, when you're until a bear eats Governor Polis, and I'm keeping my fingers crossed, <laughs> nobody's it, it, it's not even going to be a consideration. Because so, you couldn't educate that many people on it. What I put was on my post was a predator predator management Wednesdays. 
because I made that shit up. <laughs> Couple years worth of saving moose, deer, elk, sheep, goats, and other ungulates. My type of conservation helps give the defenseless animals a t- chance to flourish. One of the guys that hopped on there looked like a power lifter. Yeah. Uh, you know, said shooting wolves is effed up. Uh, then he later on, of course, people went after him. And then he goes, I've been studying this a while. The mountain population is as low as it's ever been. The, the mountain? Mountain, mountain lion. lion. Now, Give I, me a break. The mountain lion population is as high, high as it's, as it's ever, ever been. been. So what fucking place is this guy getting his info? Like PETA.com? So I would say, I can't say all states, but most of them I'm up on. Um, in the mountain lion population, in the mo- most states that I've looked at, is as high as it's ever been. Yeah. And so where did this guy get his info? Because he was very steadfast in his stance that wolves are, their population is down. Um, the mountain lion population is down. And, and I'm like, everything as far as predators, the population is up. Way up. I can't say every state and every predator, but if I was going to take a guess, I'd say 95% is, is up of every predator in every state. That's a problem. Oh, um, yeah. Yeah. So long-term repercussions, I don't think people get, like the wolves, Colorado. You know, Are wolves cool? They can be. Do I think uh, it's a good idea to have them here? I do not, but if they did and they were managed, arguable. The thing is, is the wolves do not have a place. There's not vast wildernesses and blocks of land in Colorado like there is in British Columbia, Northwest Territories, where the ungulates can hide. That's exactly right. Yeah, they can't hide here. And so it's easy to say... Well, before man, everything regulated itself. I'm like, yeah, that's great, but man is here. Well, we didn't we didn't have cities in every yeah. valley where all these ungulates <laughs> want a winter. Yeah. So now every single all the prime wintering ground is full of concrete and people. Yeah. So they're displaced into very small pieces where they're where they're having to congregate to winter, and those easy the predators have a smorgasbord. Yeah. You know, they just tear through them, especially on a bad winter. Yeah. Well, you think about it. I mean, Frank, would you want me voting on some type of invasive brain surgery? Uh, <laughs> I've never. Neuralink? Yeah. I've n- never, never really fucked around with a human brain. And we have people voting on this that have never stepped. Well, you went to that thing, you were in Belmar, and that lady was asking you to vote for wolves, right? There were some, yeah, some people asking to sign the ballot for wolves. And I said, uh, why would why, why would we do that? And she said, because deer and elk are overpopulated in Colorado and I was like well, where are you guys getting the facts and then she just walked off they didn't they weren't looking to argue like right. if you're gonna say no they're just moving on to the next person right yeah well and uh, you know the elk population is not doing bad at all in Colorado deer on the other hand is is probably a little low and gaining though I think they're getting better in some spots and um what are you thinking I'm just thinking it's 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 in isolated areas. Every unit is different. different. It's what, you know, every section of the state is different. Yeah, yeah I would say like the bells is probably down. The song graze is probably down. You um, know, the, the personally, I feel like where you have large enough large enough private parcels mm-hmm. and large enough pieces of public land for guys to be able to hunt lions every year mm-hmm. and and still run dogs and things like that, then they're doing okay in a lot of those areas. In the places where the parcels are small enough and guys can't use dogs for hunting lions because they're running onto somebody else's place, they can't control where the dogs are going, those lion populations get big and those deer populations fall, period. Yeah, what is it? What are they? It's two and a half deer a month per lion on average. Is that correct? Um, I mean, I've heard for as far as deer go, as high as one a week. Yeah. And 
I think that the two and a half number that I've heard is usually on elk because yeah. it's a larger, larger animal. animal. It takes them lo- longer to eat it, you know, but two and a half elk uh, a month or one deer a week. You ever seen a video of a, of a lion taking down an elk? Yeah. yeah. Just come out of nowhere and oh. take him down like a linebacker. That it's one, amazing. it flew at him literally like, like Lawrence Taylor would back in the day and then got its neck on its, its throat on it, its mouth on its throat or its neck and was dug in on both sides. And it literally looked like Lane Frost flying across the fucking field. And that thing was not letting. He went eight seconds. Finally, you see it go down. Yeah. And the moment it did, went down, you saw that lion. Re, it knew what it was doing, right? Jiu-jitsu. Right. Like, it repositioned the moment that that elk gave it a second and latched on again. Mule deer is another one that's pretty. You see him getting a hold of a mule deer. It's pretty oh, yeah. devastating. Yeah, it's it's Remember when that guy killed that one? in uh, Fort Collins or wherever it was yeah. that attacked him and people were like damn this dude's a badass and then uh, they kid, found man. out it was like a yeah an adolescent yeah. mountain lion they're like that guy's a pussy <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but still it's like a 40-50 pound cat yeah. dude try to take down a house cat yeah. coming oh, at you all pissed off Jesus the first thing though they blamed it on hunters they said oh probably killed their mom and then I'm like, is there an open season there you know there's a lot more to yeah. it you can't that yeah. was like when the goats got shot up on uh, what peak was that we were, we were goat hunting in there Oh, someone killed the two goats so, with a so pistol. Climbing a 14er mm-hmm. on the way up. They were close to the summit. Somebody popped two goats with was a Mount pistol. Albert? Uh, Albert, yep. Was it? I think it might have been Albert. Is that where we were? Albert or Evans or yeah. one of the, one oh, of something yeah. up there. But everybody blamed it on a hunter, and it's like, okay, how many hunters do you know climb 14ers? A few. Yeah. Not very many. Yeah, probably 1%. Percent right. Of Usually for a hunter, there's got to be a reason to go up there. Okay. <laughs> My point exactly. Next, how many hunters carry pistols? And they, some do, but, and it's usually for human protection more than animals. And then how many hunters know that in the case of a mountain goat, they, that, that I'm going to say leaf lickers feed those fuckers, mm-hmm. uh, which whatever Doritos, Pringles, I know they eat them. My daughter fed them once. Um, and that what I'm assuming happened is goats came onto the trail, saw hikers and were like, oh, yeah, I wonder if they have some Pringles and yeah. came over and the hiker panicked. And shot him. That got blamed by hunters. And it's like it's so such a slight percentage of a chance that it was hunters from a hunter standpoint and not being biased. It's just run the numbers, the facts. A hunter, right? a hunter would respect the the goat more because they know how long it takes to draw that tag. Yeah, they don't get ethically, to take it morally. Home. They don't get any of the benefit out of it. They don't get. I don't any think they photos. would just kill a goat. You know, at yeah. least here in the West, I think that the the, the mental. Um, Basically, what most hunters act like and what they consider to be acceptable, there's been leaps. It's it's gotten better by leaps and bounds over the years. Like if you compare, I guess, back in the 80s or something like that when me and you were young, um, beer a guy that a guy that broke yeah (laughs) a guy that broke the rules, you know wasn't necessarily ostracized by other hunters but in today's day and age if somebody if somebody finds out or if you find out that somebody is a fence crosser yeah man you are ostracized and 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 it should be that way you know hunters are less likely to put up with that kind of stuff than anybody else in my opinion and it's it is crazy you talk about like you know hung out in the courtyard and stoned to death um knowing certain people that have 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 crossed fences or yeah. or things like that if you compared it to uh, let's say speeding okay yeah. you know if you broke it down equal to traffic violations to to hunting if you roll through a stop sign 
Your name's not going on social media, right? Right. right. Even if you're lane drafting doing 20 over, no one's going to know. But I guarantee if you even get not convicted, but right. you, you just get charged. Accused. You're fucked. Yeah. And, 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 and it's like, well, okay, what was the, and it, we've talked about this before. I look at it three three different ways. You go out the day that morning to break the law, bear baiting. Mm-hmm. You've loaded your pack up with bear bait. You're going to break the law. The second one, you have no intentions of breaking the law, but when the uh, the moment of truth happens, you choose to break the law. Mm-hmm. And the third one, you just didn't fucking know and you screw up. Right. They're all looked at the same. There is right. no pardon in any <laughs> of any no. of those, right? I mean, if you broke the law, and I mean, there's been a, well, we just left the house the other day, to, well, the other week to go fishing and I had bought all my hunting licenses put in for my tags and just assumed I had to have bought a license right driving down the road pulled out my wallet and I'm like fuck Uh, I don't have a fucking fishing license yeah so but if I would have posted that on social media I've got enough haters someone would have turned me in now is that a huge deal I don't think honest mistake right Right. I should have known but I would have gotten ostracized i mean i it wouldn't have been it wouldn't have been good and we're just talking about an honest mistake so right and it's it's funny it's so easy for that kind of thing to happen i had the same thing happen when we were going out coyote hunting one time i you know got out there and was getting set up and it suddenly dawned on me that i'm I'm sure i bought my small tag (laughs) when i did i I just spent a thousand dollars with the you know park and wildlife so start going through things i don't think i did and and the next thing i know check online I hadn't and had to leave, but I mean, it's, it's easy to, if you're one of those guys that's applying and putting in for everything, it's hard to keep track of what you've done. Yeah. Oh yeah. I have to, right now you have to have a small game. For, yeah. yeah. For, Which I, I think it's easy to, idea. easy to screw up out of state, especially yeah. there's so many different. But, and, and this isn't the, I'm not talking about that. This has nothing to do with the game wardens. This is general public. Meaning if you've broken the law, it's the game warden's job to you know, give you a ticket. I'm talking about public perception. Yeah. Um, yeah, is where where you're where you're in trouble, you know. And I I've run into, uh, you know, a few different game wardens here and there that recognize from, the, and they're all super cool, you know. Great, love what you do, and sure. I would like to get one on here because because there's, it seems to me you have game wardens with common sense that are going to be a little more lenient on you if they think you just fucked up and you weren't right. Sort of, and then you have ones that you're getting a book thrown at you no matter what. Right. And I mean, I personally am just. Every, I mean, my local game warden, I'm sure, hates me because if I think it might possibly, maybe, could be, potentially, right? I call him. Right. Hey, am I going to break the law here? Because <laughs> right. I just, I, I have too much to risk. And there are so many underlying laws nowadays that it's not, you, you got to, you mean you better. Where it gets crazy is when you go out of state. Yeah. Because, you know, we're both residents of Colorado. We're fairly, uh, we're, we're, fairly up to date on what's le- what's legal and not legal here but you go over like i was hunting in iowa one time and i had a uh, i had a decoy a, a full body mount doe decoy and in the tail i had uh so this is a taxidermy decoy she was yeah. sweet yeah named her donna anyway <laughs> in the tail i had, you a, had a fleshlight i had a, <laughs> <laughs> i had a remote control Tail wagger tail back there. So if I'm sitting up in the tree stand and I see a buck that's 200 yards away, I can hit my little remote and wag that tail and get that buck's attention from way over there just with a little bit of, you know, flicking movement from the tail. Well, my buddy says, I don't know if that's legal here in Iowa. (laughs) And so we end up, we end up calling game warden who calls 
three other game wardens who gets a whole consensus of game wardens together and not, they can't come up with a decision. It's like, and then I got told it's a gray area. Well, what, <laughs> what does that mean? Well, you know, can I just take, can I, can I use it or do I need to take the batteries out of it? Well, and I just was talking, I'm not going to bring them up because we're going to bring them on the podcast, but I'm, I'm going to hunt with them this January. And he was talking about, cause, cause his son got in trouble yeah. and, what it was is he got in trouble for using a vehicle in to, uh, I don't know the exact terminology, but uh, using a vehicle to harvest an animal. And as I understand it in what I read, it said he was using carbon monoxide from the vehicle to cover his scent. He was 50 yards from the truck. What? He said, so, you know, and I'm going to get him on here because I want, you know, we're going to get bashed a little bit because his son got an infraction. Right. But he said, my issue is one, it's up to the, uh, Department of Wildlife, for the interpretation of what the law says, you could get in trouble pretty quick. Because if you're interpreting it one way or another, and as I understood it, drove in, went on a few stocks, they're on their way out, they get to the gate, they stop, they're fucking around, drinking beer, water, whatever, antelope, you know, in the rut, they get dumb. Yeah. Antelope's coming right at them. Right. So he gets out of the truck, walks over, 81 yards, shoots the antelope. They said he used the vehicle as a... Now, to me, using the vehicle is I'm doing a Wisconsin drive-by. I'm yeah. in the back. Yeah. That's cut and dry. You're Right. So in some states, though, if you're on a dirt road you, that's not maintained, you can shoot them out of the truck. What? Um, well, our dad. In can, Texas. In, well, in other states, too, but it, depending upon what the animal is and the species. Right. Um, or you can shoot it from the road. Right, right. If it's a dirt road or, or Without the Without having to get a certain number of feet from the away. center line or whatever. Yeah, and so, and again, I'm not complaining. I mean, you got to know the laws. I'm just saying what states what. When the, you better just get off the fucking road, right? Yeah. I mean, because yeah. you, I can't remember everything, you know. In this case, I would get, in in a situation, as I understand it, that happened, Frank and I would, and you would probably get, if you got a 200-inch mule deer walking at you, and you get 50 yards from the truck, hide behind the bush and take a shot, I would take the shot. Right. Would you? Wait, 50 yards off the road? Yeah. Absolutely. And not even a main road, a dirt road, two-track. Yeah. yeah. Frank? I don't think there's any law in Colorado that says otherwise yeah. that I've heard of. So I'm thinking— You're talking oh, 50 yards off of the road. I think you only have to, yeah. what, 100 feet off the center line in Colorado? Yeah. yeah. Th- what, 30 yards? So I don't know, and, you know, I, again, I don't want to speak out of turn. I want to get him on. But as I understood in what I read, it said they used carbon monoxide to cover his scent, and that's what they got a ticket for. Because the truck was running? Mm-hmm. Crazy, and huh? Wh- what state was that in? Arizona. How could they prove the wind direction and yeah, <clears throat> all that stuff? Maybe the guy was maybe he was lying, right? I want to get him on here because I guarantee we get him on here. The game wardens are going to contact us. The last time we had Brian Martin on, the fucking phones lit up like crazy. Really? Oh, Huh. Well, we got three very, very ugly ones. And the thing with me is I didn't know we should have been talking to Brian about that. Or right. that's what the podcast would have been about. Right. Like, I don't have any issue. Like, we had Josh Bomar on. Mm-hmm. We talked. He's countersuing federal government. Am I saying? I don't think Josh did anything wrong. But a podcast is to discuss things. Sure. Now, I'm not saying I'm going to bring on a 17 charge, a guy that's been charged 17 times for poaching, but right. in certain situations, I believe it's good to get a guy on, hear what happened, because I'm going to be a little leery of 
popping an animal 50 yards from the truck because, you know, from here on out after hearing that story, because I'm like, how many times that happens? Right. Especially with antelope. Right. Especially in the rut. Sure. So a little nervous about that now, to say the least. Go See, I'm, I'm behind times. So I don't even know what happened with Josh. I think he was hunting on a a, ran, a, a farm, whatever, for whitetails. Right. And a bunch of people got busted um, that had hunted there, and he had hunted there. Right. Um, and so he was kind of locked in with them. And they basically were up his ass for quite a while. And so he was, he's countersuing them for harassment. Um, and I don't, I don't, if they would have had something, I'm pretty sure that something would have come up by now. But, and, and again, like I'm not, I try not to get in the middle of, you know, game wardens have a horribly tough job. Oh yeah. I always like to hear. And I think it's, you know, with, with game wardens, just like it is with, uh, with other police, I think that 90% of them care about the animals care about our heritage care about our sport they're you know they're putting their best foot forward all the time and then you've got the guys that you know have a little bit of a power trip i think that you know just like yeah every group has a bad apple or two you know what i mean you just can't you can't write off the entire group because of a couple bad apples yeah and i've tried to explain myself on here because i I know the the few that I'm friends with and guys that I've run into seem super cool. And yeah. as I've told my local uh, game warden, I'm like, dude, you show up at my front door, I deserve for you to be there. I have no, I trust you. Like I, right? I've done something for you to come here. I right. fucked up. Like <laughs> you know what I mean? Like there's there's if there was a gray area, we're gonna talk about it. If you have questions, but there's other game wardens. If they showed up at the front door, I probably would be calling a lawyer. Well, if my local game warden shows up, I'm like. Yeah. Let's hash this out. Let's figure it out. I probably did something wrong and maybe right. didn't know. But I don't want to ever be in that position. So like even anymore, Frank and I are super careful because it's not we know when we're breaking the law. You know right. what I mean? Like when you, or I should say when you know you're breaking the law, you you know. Well, like you said, there's three different categories there. You know what I yeah. mean? And, yeah. and the 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 wanton ones, those are the ones that, you know, it's the the public sentiment against it is deserved for sure the guys that the guys that did something i i wouldn't even say in the heat of the moment but the ones that it's it is a gray area and it can be interpreted three different ways that's pretty tough i'd say that when i like when i say in a minute ago when we know we're breaking the law i don't want people thinking we're poaching we know it meaning yeah a GoPro is a good example. Mm-hmm. There's a gray area there. Technically, you can't have a GoPro on a bow in Colorado. Right. Yep. And I think you had to take yours off and put it on your hat or yep. your, how the hell, you had your I clip. had it on in the range, and <clears throat> I think somebody said, you can't have it on your bow. I was like, oh, shit. Yeah. I didn't know. The yeah. only electronic piece you can have on your bow is a lighted knock, as far as I know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which, you know, whatever, right? I think that's actually kind of a, I think a GoPro is okay to have. On your yeah, bow. yeah, it, but, it should be. But I understand of of blanketing the rule to make it easier. No electronic equipment. But that's what I'm talking about as far as like, if um, I'm going to come to Colorado and I have to figure out a way to mount the GoPro differently um, off of my bow. I'm going to have to find a way to be 100% legit. Now, would I be chicken shit of a game warden to give me a ticket if I have a GoPro on my bow? Yes, I would say that's pretty chicken shit. Would it be chicken shit if I have a light on my my sight? No, I'm fully deserving of that ticket. And I think most game wardens are, they understand how life works. Use discretion. Yeah, Yeah. discretion. Yeah. But I I just met one down in uh, the Bells when we were at um, 
the total archery challenge. He'd recognize me at the gas station. He was cool as shit. Um, yeah. Yeah. I think, uh, you know, too, that as, as time goes on, um, and hunting has a larger and larger blueprint, you're going to be made an example of because of what we have to risk where, like you said, a long time ago, right? No one gave a shit. That was before social media. Now it's a big deal. Well, I think your average hunter has just evolved, you know, with uh, like, like, uh, Frank was saying a few minutes ago, you have an appreciation because you know what it takes to, to not only draw the tag, but what it takes to, to get after a mountain goat or something like that. You know, I, I think that we hold the, the, the animals in higher regard than your average citizen does. I honestly do. You know, we hunters are the ones that love them the most. Yeah. And I talked about this on that podcast yesterday I was on is how stupid is it for people to say hunters just go kill all the animals? Oh, well, if man. we did that, we wouldn't be able to keep hunting. That's exactly right. That doesn't make any sense whatsoever. No. Um, but let's let's talk about something different before I get depressed talking about <laughs> all the jack wagons in the world. Uh, uh, the uh, Well, actually, let's talk for a minute. We did a video a minute ago um, with the decoys. So the the ultimate predator decoy and people have seen it on my social media page it's the one that you can shoot through yeah, so you, stalker decoys and the name of the company's ultimate predator but yeah, yeah the stalker decoys are the bow mounted decoys that have the shooting port on front of them that you shoot right through the decoy and it's super super handy and i've used mine off and on this year's going to be more a year more conducive to having one on um for the hunts that I have going on the, I would have to say out of everything that I've used that. And as much as I've tested it, the only negative side is in the wind yep. and, and in the wind, what I've done, and you're the one that told me to do this. I rig it up ahead of time and I run cord from top to bottom Velcro that cord on and I hold my bow and then I grab that cord. And when I'm stocking up, if need be, it's pretty easy. If I get to the point where I've got a shot, I just drop it straight down right. and I don't worry about it as much. The other thing that's nice with it too is when you're stocking up, you can look through the thing. So I'll just hold it on my trekking sure. pole and you can look through it. But you put eyes on it, which when you first said that, I didn't think it'd be that big of a difference. Oh, it's a huge difference. It's got devil eyes now. It yeah. knows death. That yeah. thing, it looks real. It, with man, eyes. I don't know what those goofy little eyes do, but they, they make the entire thing three-dimensional and it pops out. But what you're talking about with that wind, I want to explain that just a little bit more because it actually come up, it came up because of goat hunters. Yeah. And up there above Timberline, you're just often dealing with high winds. And regardless of what it is, if anything that you add to your bow, a quiver or anything else can become a wind sail. Yeah. And that thing, you know, especially can. But if you are in high winds like that, we have a we have three different weapon attachment systems. And one of them is called a strap attachment system. And it's just three one foot long pieces of Velcro. And what I like to do is just run those pieces of Velcro, kind of hook them together and run them straight down vertically through the middle of that shooting port. And then instead of putting the decoy on the front of the bow, you lay the decoy on the side of the bow, like on the quiver side. And then with your, with your grip hand, when you ha- wrap your hand around the grip, you grab that Velcro handle that you just made in the middle of the shooting window. Now when you go to show, you know, when you have an animal in front of you and you're trying to stalk on it or something like that, you have your arrow knocked and you're showing them the side of the bow. So if you're a right-handed archer, your bow's going to be pointed hard left and you're showing, you're hiding behind the decoy on the side of the bow. 
Now, when you have an opportunity, you've got to turn that bow forward. And when you go to draw and put pressure on the string, you open your grip hand a little bit, the decoy falls right off the side of the bow, and you can make a shot without having that wind sail on the decoy. So let me talk a little bit more about that because I've had questions. So if it's windy, which is why we're talking about it, guys, we're like, won't the animal hear it? Well, if it's windy. Hear what? The, the decoy drop. I'm like, no. guys, think about what you're saying. If it's windy. We're talking winds where yeah. you're already having a hard time <laughs> yeah. staying steady. That's what, the only thing you'd have to worry about is maybe the decoy blowing and you have to chase after yeah, it later. That's like, exactly right. I was like, the, the issue why it's not strapped to the bow is wind, wind covers noise. So you're not going to hear it drop. So don't worry about that because this is a situation where the wind is bad enough. It's going to throw off your Yeah, your we're shot. talking like, you know, 25, 30 mile an hour winds and up. Yeah. And one of the other, um, well, there's, it's the thing, like I've talked to guys about this and you know, let's say you go on a hunt and for six, seven days, it's standard hunting decoys, not, let's say it's just not needed. Yeah. And, and let's, Arizona is a good example. Mm-hmm. Almost every day, one time in that I needed it yeah. just one time in the day. Yeah. And generally what it is, is you're out of, for, in Arizona where I was, you're out of options and out you're like, cover. Out of cover, yeah. Mm-hmm. And you're like, okay, I need to make it 15 yards. Yes. Well, do you want a fat white dude with a shaved head <laughs> or do you want an animal's head? Well, I'd rather have an animal's head. Yeah. And the fact that it's on the bow, let's say it gets a little edgy, you get to where you're going, now it's still on there. You can draw your bow and shoot. Where with a normal decoy, you're either popping it up or laying it down, it's still attached to the bow. So, it's just a very important tool in the tool chest. You won't use it every day. You might, right. but I guarantee you're going to fucking need it. At one point in time or another, it will pay off. Well, and, you know, having it in your pack, you don't even hardly know it's there. Like that elk weighs, I think, nine ounces Yeah. Um, and folds up very small and, and fits in the like the water bladder pocket of most of the packs that I have or something, yep. you know, someplace where I can get at it real quick. But um you certainly don't have to have it on there all the, all the time, but it's one of those things where it's better to have it in there if you do decide that you need it than, than not having it if you if you do. Well, I've been getting Amy, um, you know, used to the ones, just two different things. One, just having it on the bow for that uh, mule deer approach at the end where the deer may look up and it yep. gives you that extra few seconds. Yep. The other thing, if you run the strap system correctly, and I've kind of rigged some cord on mine, is if you're hunting solo and you're worried about the animal being that close and maybe being edgy, it straps to a tree real good. And so you can make it look like if you're solo calling elk, you can put it behind you and make it look like it's in a bush and it can't see the body and you can strap it to the tree. Super simple. So I have those short bungees Mm -hmm. and I actually have rigged it up to where I can bungee it on a tree. I've done that with Montana decoys for a very, very long time. Yeah. You know, and I still, I still use Montana decoys. I love Montana decoys. Mm-hmm. Um, generally speaking, if, you know, ideally when I'm elk hunting, my style of elk hunting, we'd like to be in teams of three. Yeah. So we got two guys out front that are basically shooters and the guy in the back that's calling. Now, the guy in the back, if he's calling and he's got a bow in his hand and he's still hunting, even though he's acting as a caller right then, then we want the ultimate predator on him. But if he's not, if he's not hunting, doesn't have a bow in his hand, I'll have them run a Montana decoy. It's bigger and, and better and things like that. But strapping it to a tree, here's my one caution that I would give people, and, and you can tell me whether you agree or not. But Other than forgetting it. 
That's, well, that's caution yeah, that, too. That sucks. Yeah. <laughs> that sucks. And no, we won't replace that. Yeah. Um, but now, if, if elk are experts at picking up movement, mm-hmm. any little tiny twitch, they will pick it up, especially if they're coming to a call. But if you don't move, if you're completely, completely still, they will walk right up to you and not even know what the heck you are or not even see you at all. Well, the problem with putting a decoy on a tree behind you, and let's say that you're, you know, calling and your plan is for that elk to come up and see that decoy and keep its mind off of you. The problem is if that decoy doesn't move and it's got a backdrop, mm-hmm. a lot of times that elk won't see it. No, I, w- I would they agree. Absolutely. They'll walk right up to it and they'll be three yards from it and they won't see it. Yeah. No, I, w- I would agree. And I, I think there's two things you have to think about this. One, the wind is when I would use this situation, strapping it to a tree where the yeah. wind might be a little sketchy and that may buy you some time. But two is when I was talking about like uh, to the bush. I always try to get that thing to where it looks like the body's behind the bush and the head is in the wide open right. or they won't, they probably won't see it. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, if it, if it moved at all, they'd pick it up real quick, but for whatever reason, they don't have that depth of field or that contrast. I don't know what it is, but if it was standing in a wide open field without a backdrop, they'd see it definitely. But if it's on a tree or on a bush and there's stuff behind it, they don't see it. Whereas if it's on your bow and they, and you do need them to see some. You've got a bull that hangs up down there a hundred yards and he's at the point where I need to see something in order to keep coming. You can reach up and flick that ear and all it takes is a little tiny flick of that ear and they've got you. Yeah, They've got you like that and it sells them. I don't know what that ear flick means in elk language, but it, it it's good. Hey, baby. Yeah. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly right. But. It, to me, I would re- personally, unless I'm in a situation where there's high winds, I would rather have it on the bow than back there in a tree. Yeah, no, I would I would agree with that. And for for me, one of the things that I've start gotten a lot better doing is if I'm taking a nap or if I'm farting around on Facebook or whatever I shouldn't be doing. Yeah, I'll stand my bow up. Yeah, to where if an animal's coming in, I can hide behind it. The decoys are strapped to it, and I can just, of course, nobody's watching this because this isn't video, but I can literally just grab the bow and shoot when it's coming in. And right. That, I've, you know, you've fart around in the woods long enough, um, you're going to get caught slipping many times. And now it's kind of not weird, but now, um, you know, you, I look back at all the times when I've set up for cold calling, given up. Right. And if I had that decoy with that first initial movement where I gave up and then I saw the elk and I'm like, yeah, there was 45 minutes of waste. Would me just moving that elk actually have helped things, that decoy? Yeah. Um, where, you know, again, big fat white guy gets up. Oh, that's yeah. counterproductive. Completely different. Yeah. Big fat, big fat white guy with his pants around his ankles trying to wipe his butt. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. So, and you th- think of it as a human. If you walk up into something where you think it's a danger area, then you see someone over there standing on the street. Yeah. It just puts them maybe more at ease or even better, makes them curious. Sure. And brings them in. And with any animal, if you get a, a herd and you can get one of the younger cows to come in that yep. is just curious, because a lead cow is pretty smart. Um mm-hmm. A lot of times it sucks how actually smart lead cows are, but if you can get one to come in, you don't move, mm-hmm. and they're like, oh, nothing's going on, and more and more come in, it may just buy you a little more time. Well, so. the, the, you know, one of the other things I wanted to talk about was our, our elk rump. 
You've you've seen that one, right? Yeah, I'm a huge fan of the rump in a lot of ways because it's neutral. Well, if that makes any sense. And the way that I like to use that thing, and I I actually I just use... felt weird shooting through the butthole. So. <laughs> <laughs> You're a rump man. <laughs> um, I use the Montana rump. Mm-hmm. They they discontinued theirs. I don't know why they did. I, I it was my favorite one. Yep. Um, but what we like to do, like I said, is put those two shooters out front, and they'll have the regular you know, elk head with the, the forward facing face on it mm-hmm. up on their bows. The guy in the back who's calling, we want him to have that rump on mm-hmm. because in those situations where you get a bull that's a hundred yards out and he, you know, it happens a lot where they freeze up. They, they, they know that that call is coming from right up through there. They're not quite within range of your shooters yet or anything. And they know they should be seeing elk. Well, the guy in the back, if he takes that rump and just literally steps out from behind a tree and then steps back behind the, behind a tree, just appears and disappears, it looks like an elk that's leaving. And for whatever reason, it throws them into a completely different mindset than just seeing, if they see the face standing there staring at them, yeah. a lot of times they'll just stand there and bugle at her, like, get over here, you know, you're looking at me. But when, when they see that rump leaving, it's a completely different deal. Oh crap. He's leaving with my cow or she's leaving me right now. And their tendency is to just come, yeah. you know, to come try and cut them off. Yeah. And I, we, I'm not going to bring up any names when I was hunting with people before and we were above tree line, you know, early season, they're up pretty high. Yeah. Um, we were in a rock pile and a bunch of elk came out and generally elk don't hang out in boulder fields, uh, especially in the middle of them. And, and the dude called. And of course, that was kind of a dead giveaway of something squirrely was going on because you can't really hide a 500 to 700 pound elk in the middle of a rock field. So they looked up. The one thing that's advantageous with this, and not necessarily in a boulder field, but if you're up in Bristlecone, a rock pile, you can just pop that head out and back in. Sure. Just enough for them to see because that does happen all the time. You're glassing and all of a sudden you see a couple cows in a 10 foot, 20 foot, 20 yard patch of trees right? just to get their attention. And in the case with a stick bow, you have to be a bit more patient than I was with the compound. So it just may put them at ease and help them move over. And then if obviously you're in the middle of nowhere. There's not a lot to hide behind. If you have to draw, it's covering your movement. Cause for people that haven't been above tree line and I'm actually, you know, a lot of people haven't, a lot of people haven't, there ain't a lot of shit going on up there. I mean, mm-hmm. it is above tree line and you get Probably at what twelve thousand feet? There's some jack pines and bristlecone, and then white bark pine, white bark yeah. pine. Yeah, there's like fourteen names for those trees. <laughs> yeah, is jack pine white little bark Christmas pine? trees? Um, I don't know whether I don't. I don't think jack pine is what. I'm not a biologist, but uh, I don't think jack pine is white bark pine. I've always called the white bark pine is that stuff that doesn't grow very tall. Mm-hmm. It's real thick and bushy, like the stuff we were talking about on the doghouse earlier. And that's, who, I thought that was bristlecone. See, I, I've always called it white bark pine or heard it called white bark we pine. We just had a discussion about the, all the different names of the only two fucking trees that live above <laughs> tree line because it's sparsy pine. I've heard it white bark yeah. pine, jack pine, and bristlecone. Yeah. Whatever it is, there's not much of it and it's the only shit you can hide behind up there. Yeah, and it's not very deep. No. It's, it, 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 the deepest it gets up there is what, you know, Couple eight feet. feet or something like well, that. Well, yeah, in the big patches, but like when you're getting into the the narrow stuff, it's usually, 
I'd say two, maybe three feet. And the good thing is, like we were talking about with with running out of cover, if you're low crawling through that, you're only going to be going a little ways, and there's going to be a blank spot. Yep. You'd be surprised just low crawl with a blank spot or not, you know, duck walk, whatever. Yeah. As long as you don't look like a, you know, dude or, you know, I say white dude, black dude, whatever dude, walking like a, you know, upright, they just see something kind of cross and it looks like an animal. And then you wait at the neck. They'll calm back down if they see something to where if you just walk across it with a bow in your hand, it's pretty yeah. counterproductive. Well, and that's a, that's actually a tip that works really well with this thing. If you're down in something like that three foot and it's got enough cover for you to be crawling or whatever, and you're in a situation where you need to get their attention, mm-hmm. like let you know, let's say you're looking at a bull that's coming out of the timber line 300 yards b- below you or across the bull or something like that. Well, if you pop that decoy up out of that, give him a cow call, and then drop it back down, make it disappear like, you know, like she put her head back down to feed or something like that, boy, it's amazing what it'll do. Yeah, we, we were in a unit a few years ago, and we had a uh, that butt decoy, and it was, now the bull was a long ways away. Yeah. Like, a thousand know, yard reverted. 500, 500. Yeah. And far enough where you wouldn't think it would it would come right now the only thing that killed this is in the middle of his sprint across that the wind the thermals had changed but he came 400 yards on it and what had happened is i i raised the decoy up and i let out an estrus call or if you're chris Rowe, it's called something different um (laughs) and uh uh, you know that he was he bugled right off the bat right and at that point i just let out a you know the loudest nastiest bugle i could i popped that a butt decoy up one more time and put it down yep. and that's all it took because the the bugle my nastiest bugle is like a a breath above a raghorn right i'm like yeah. not sounding overly dominant yeah and this was like right in that early rut where they're they're gathering right which and is my favorite time to hunt that's when you kill the big ones and man that thing came running to the point i'm like fuck am i ready like yeah. holy you know when you're grabbing your release and, sh- and you're like whoa but it i mean it worked and we would have i guarantee we would have killed that bull except the thermals changed and it literally was as it was coming you could feel him starting to right whip and i'm like this is going to take a miracle and at 100 yards he stopped and he barked and went just as fast back the other yeah. way and the wind changed but it that was the first time or one of the one of the first times where i was like I need to have a decoy with me a yeah. lot. Um, yeah. You know, it's and it's helpful. funny. Yeah, you, I come across guys that are like, oh, decoying is cheating or, you know, it, the, the the skill of bow hunting is just to be able to slip up on them and, and make that kill. And I'm like, man, I, I can understand that sentiment. But at the same time, how do you describe the excitement of when one sees you and comes charging at you? There is nothing like it. Yeah. There's there's nothing like that, you know, yeah. and you know if you're if you're worried about oh it's unfair to fool them like that. Well, why are you trying to fool them with calls or scents or cover ups or anything? It's it, you might as well throw it all away. Yeah, or uh, Gore Tex or yeah. Swarovskis or it's just finders. another tool. <laughs> yeah, it's another tool, and you might use it one day, like you said, and the next day you might not. Why aren't you walking to work or taking a rickshaw? Yeah, I, <laughs> I make there's, I mean, and there is a level of um, technology that that we we shouldn't cross, but yeah, Native Americans were using decoys long before they were throwing you know, hides over hides their uh, hides and and you know the leaving the horns attached on the on the head and and looking like bucks crawling around you know they've been doing it for centuries yeah and it's not that 
if you think it's that easy to kill something with a bow, you should give it a try. Yeah, um, you're darn right. Yeah, I think what is success now like for average across the U.S. like nine? Pretty or low, percent. seven or something. Yeah, yeah, it's it's difficult. Um, it can be it can be done. And the one thing I uh, you know, with so you brought um, I didn't have a ram decoy, so you brought me one up. It does look like an owl dad, so I'm going to use that thing a lot because. Yeah. You know, with those owl dads in the in the cliffs, mm-hmm. um, they're so athletic. Oh, like yeah. a couple seconds on flat ground, you know, is a totally different than the cliffs because they got a lot to hide behind. Last year, um, Scotty had his, mm-hmm. and we were going up and we were scouting, uh, yeah. you know, for clients coming in. And every time we'd peek over that, we'd have the, the decoy. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I'd peeked over a lot of cliffs and got caught, and then we had that decoy, and they all three stood up out of their bed when they saw the decoy. And I'm like, well, that didn't work, except they came fucking closer where normally they <laughs> run away. And I was like, all right, I'm going to start bringing this decoy when I'm because I just creep over each edge to look. So, man, I'll t- one of the one of the tips that I think that a lot of guys, especially going into September, uh, will go a lot out of glass and muleys in big bows and things like bulls. Uh, when you're coming over the top, you're always worried about silhouetting yourself because we've all done it. We came over the top and we start glassing and we silhouetted ourselves and we see the bachelor group go running out of the bottom of the bowl or across the next top or something like that. Um, throw that thing, put your, you know, whatever tripod you have, Dude, throw I it got- on your tripod with your spotting scope right through the shooting port on that, creep over the edge, sit down behind it and all those animals will stay right there. I've got the, like the pimped out setup. Um, I've got that outdoorsman monopod. Yeah. And then the clamp fits perfect to hold it from sliding up and down. Yep. And then my 15s or 10s are right on the top of it. Yeah. And basically your eyeballs are right at the, the top headline. And so we were screwing around with it, seeing like, does it really um, distort the look of the head? Mm-hmm. It doesn't. And so it's nice because I just walk up, I'm stabilized, I'm balanced for glassing with that monopod and the, the decoy strapped right to it. And so. it's perfect. And like like you said, you know, they'll look up and, and you're like, oh, shoot, what you what I just do? I skyline myself and it's not going to work and here they come. Yeah, yeah. I, I Yeah, especially, um, I, well, I, I encourage people to try it. I think you'd be surprised because there, then there's times I haven't had it where, you know, like anything, you know, you look right. back, you're like, why didn't I have it? And who knows what would have happened, but there was three or four stocks where it was windy and I didn't take it. Right. And then I got in the middle, uh, you know, of terrain that I didn't have anything to hide behind. And I'm like, how hard would it have been to, cause I carry like a, it's a door gunner. Right. It's a little pack. How hard would it have been to have it to just get across this last 15 yards where now, you know, I'm not getting across this last 15 yards. So it's handy again, even in high wind, it's handy to heat to have it on you. Uh, because you can hold it in your hand at least enough to give you some cover. Right, um, right. So I learned the hard way a few times by not bringing it. I was like, yeah, Danny would have made fun of me. No, oh, <laughs> dude, I, Danny can't make fun of anybody. I, did I talk to you about my elk hunt last year? Uh-uh. Oh, here we go. Oh, God. <laughs> okay, well, my my mule deer hunt, You, I don't know if you remember that or not, but me and my son Lane both killed pigs this yeah, year. Giant. And... uh the, back to the GoPro thing, I, I had a GoPro mounted on my forehead for that stock and got the entire thing just on a on a head-mounted GoPro. But when I popped over on that mule deer, he was 60 yards away, and he had moved. He'd, he had three does that were bedded with him. He moved. He wasn't where I was expecting him to be. I lost him for a second, and by the time I saw him, he already had me spotted and nailed. And, he, you know, I spotted him when he stood up out of his bed. 
and he's standing there at 60 yards and I drew the bow back and I put it on him and um, I had the pin on him and I was trying to steady it and I just slowed down for a second, took a breath and said, okay, he's just standing there looking at me. I don't need to shoot 60 yards if I don't have to. And the reason, the reason that went through my head was because of what happened during my elk hunt. But I, I sat there and looked at him for a second. I went ahead and let down with him standing there staring at me just to give the decoy a chance to do its job instead of panicking like, oh, crap, he stood up. He sees me. I need to shoot him. I need to shoot him. He actually walks in to 35 yards and I smoke him when he gets 35 yards and stopped right there. The reason that I let down and it came to mind was because of what happened in the elk hunt. <laughs> so in that elk hunt, we're on public ground. Um, this bull, we had spotted him from way down below in a burn and he had a group of cows. Me and my cameraman, it was filmed for Bowhunter TV, but uh, we went way up and around, took us half the afternoon to get up and around and above him and get the wind right and everything. And about the time that they should be coming out of their beds, we kind of snuck down close to where we figured they had bedded. I gave like a, a cow call and a half-hearted little bugle, kind of like more of a moan. And here he comes. He, uh, the next thing I know, he's walking up through the trees. And this is a good bull. For a Colorado public land over-the-counter bull, he was, you know, pushing 330. And he's walking up and he's going to come about 30 yards uh, away from me on the other side of this little drainage and he's just looking for who made the sound and he walked into an opening and he stopped and I decided right there that I needed to draw now um, one of the things that the elk decoy does for you is that you can get away with drawing even when they're looking you know when you're afraid that they can see you because um, usually when they even when they catch you it's 20, 30 seconds for them to figure out what, even if they don't like the decoy, they're there for 20 seconds trying to figure out what's going on. Well, when I drew on this bull, every other bull I'd ever drawn on with it just kind of froze and looked at me and then kind of relaxed. Well, this bull, when he caught that movement, he whirled. I mean, just completely whirled toward me. And when he did that, it punched the panic button. <laughs> and it's like, 35 years of bow hunting experience out the window, you know, <laughs> and I forget that I even have the decoy on the bow. Um, I absolutely do not give it a chance to work whatsoever. And I just felt like you got to get the air on him now, now, now. And that little fucking devil oh, on your shoulder. Man. <laughs> and I squeezed a shot off and because he had just, made that big move and was still trying to figure out what's going on he jumped the string on me and it hit him bad and long story short we tracked him for a mile and we lost him but looking back at that video i realized just in that little time when he when he whirled at me and then stood there he wasn't going anywhere yeah he i did not have to take that shot you know what I mean? If I'd have just had a little bit more faith in the dang decoy and let it do its job, he probably would have, he, he might have walked right to me. I don't know what he would have done, yeah. you know, but I didn't have to make the shot, you know, just, so I guess the point is let the decoy do its job, have some faith that it's, that, that it's going to buy you time because it will. Don't 
take that temptation to squeeze that thing off immediately. It, it, it's funny you're talking about that. Uh, my wife started hunting and, and, and she's been fairly successful. But um, as, as anyone knows that has been beside someone that's newer where you're like, draw, draw, yeah. wait, wait, okay, yeah. hold on. No, wait, let down. Yeah. They can get pissed yeah. and, and, and frustrated. And actually, Frank, you missed a buck because of that in Alberta. I remember uh, that one that we were driving down there. It was a fucking tank. We were driving down the road. He probably betted there his entire life. And we got fairly close. And we were trying to stand it up. We had Frank draw. Frank was at full draw for what, probably a minute? For a long time, yeah. And then we're like, okay, let down. And then the fucker stood up immediately. <laughs> oh, he caught the movement when you let down. I just think nah. from us throwing shit at him. He yeah, we were stood well, up. actually, uh, Harder kept trying to. He would, he was making like cow sounds, mooing at it, mm-hmm. meh, fucking all kinds of stuff, and it <clears throat> finally it stood up. And then Frank had, of course, had just let down. So now he's trying to draw back. So I'm trying to prep Amy for that because Amy's got a spot and stock mule deer tag. Right. And I was telling her, I said, more than most likely, if I can go, I'm going to have your decoy. You're going to be right in my hip pocket. Mm-hmm. And when we come up, I'm going to range it. And then you're going to pop up beside me. And, right. And I, but I was like, now we have a bunch of 3Ds. And I said, we're going to reenact or we're going to pretend. Right. That did not go well because I'm like, okay, draw. Wait, wait, wait. Let let okay, let down. Well, it's like artillery simulators. Yeah. No one likes that shit. She's like, why don't I just shoot it? And I said, because the probability of this fucking panning out the first time is so slim. <laughs> you need to be ready for what's gonna happen. Cause no matter what, generally what you're thinking and what they're thinking, if they don't know and what they think's yeah. gonna happen and you have more experience. So you start to see those antlers twitch immediately. I'm like, draw. Oh, yeah. Yeah, most of the time they're going to stand, but sometimes they'll twitch around, they'll get calm again, and then you got to let down, and they might hear it let yep. down. And yep. so I'm explaining this all to her, and I'm like, the the moral of the story is if we can get the perfect stock, we'll shoot him right in his bed, right? And there won't be any draw, wait, stand, you know. But if you know, I told her, I said, if I pop up with that decoy and I glass, and he sees it, and you hear me say draw, you get ready to shoot because you're going to have a five, ten second window of him trying to figure out what what, what the fuck is going on. Right, right. And I, and I, so as I'm talking about all this, the one thing I would say is if you're going to use this decoy, practice with it. It, it changes the tune on your your stick bow. Close up, on, it yeah. On a on a compound, it doesn't really no. do that, but on a stick bow. It might be the tune. I'll take your word for that. But to me, on a stick bow, just the field of view. So much with instinctual shooting is is having the entire perspective, and you've got to get used to looking through that window when you shoot instinctual. It it, it, it does that, and then on on some bows are a little worse than others. But when you add weight to your riser, it does change the tune. Now most people can't shoot. Not most. Some people can't shoot well enough where they'll they'll really know. Right. But it does change the tune, but I would say you are correct. Get used to shooting with that. Now, it doesn't bother me probably from shooting out of a blind so much. Right. But the first time I drew back with it on, you know, your window's only, what, six inches wide or whatever it is. Yeah. But I will say, so I, if my neighbors film this, it'd be comical because I'm creeping through the woods with practicing, pull, pulling out of a quiver, right? Yeah. Locking it up getting it in there and then and then basically i'm like okay draw draw real slow and then taking different shots from from 40 and in mm-hmm. the other thing too is on the the cliffs a lot of times when you come up over a cliff most of the time if you're doing it right the deer don't know and you're great other times they might hear something you know they, they like to stay alive yeah they're going to be looking at you you need to be ready not just to draw but be looking through that window 
that, that to see what that deer is doing because more than most likely he's not going to bolt when he sees the deer. Right. But you're not going to have a huge window. You're, it's just going to add some time to take that shot and to get that shot off quick with that small window. You want to you want to practice that. Right, right. So. And, you know, well, it's funny. That's a difference, I think, between running it on a compound and trad gear. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Because on a compound, when I first started using them, I thought that I needed to do everything through the shooting window, like trying to range and stuff like that through the shooting window, which is is really hard to do because there's a lot of things going on in there, your sight and your stabilizer, the riser, the string, everything. Yeah. Um, then I found out that 90% of the time, I can peek out from beside that thing and range on the side of the decoy, no problem, or glass on the side of the decoy, whatever I need to do. The only time where I'm really looking through that shooting port when I'm running it on a uh, on a compound is when I'm actually at full draw and have that pin on the animal and getting ready to trigger the release. Um, whereas, like you're talking about on a trad bow, you're it, it's it's a different deal. You want to be zoned in inside that hole to watch everything happen and and have an idea of how far that animal is away from you. That's the the hard part for me is looking through the window on a trad bow changes how far it looks like it is to the animal but it, it makes it harder for me to judge distance yeah and it it is it is unique but i would say like for me i would rather if i can if i'm 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 with amy i'll probably hold the decoy yeah. and have her shoot but if she's on her own obviously totally different story right right well uh do you have any of our antlers yeah i do you sent them last year we actually did a video we stocked in on. I think we sent it to you. There yeah. was seven bucks down in, that in Texas. Field. Yeah, yeah. It. Um, well, I'm, I'm uploading on Instagram. Us doing this. So the the day before, we tried to get up onto the edge of that field, and it, they weren't having it. Right. And uh, the next day, we had those horns taped on, and I don't know if those. I say taped on, whatever attached. Um, I don't. Yeah, it's hard to say what, what's going on in an animal's brain, but we right. got 23 yards on the edge. And all we did was creep through the grass with the, the decoy poking up. Mm-hmm. And we got right to the edge. And what was weird, they got so used to it in the time it took us to get there. When we stood up behind it, they didn't really give a shit. Right. Because and they it, were, it you took, were right on top of them in that video. I could have killed one with a spear. Yeah. Yeah, it was yeah, crazy. It was, it, it was crazy. Well, the reason I asked you that, I need to give you another set. Eventually, I need to come out with a set of velvet antlers. On ours, on both the whitetail and the mule deer, I like running it as a buck. 90% of the time. I mean, in the in the rut, to me, it's a no-brainer. The only time that I want to show a doe during the rut portion is when I see a buck that's obviously cruising, looking for does. Now I want to show him a doe, but if it's a buck that either has a group of does or something like that, I want to approach him as a buck and, and kind of get his territorial uh, thing going with me. In the early season in September, who are they around? Your big mature bucks are either bachelored up or they're by themselves, one of the two, but they're they're not usually around does. Yeah. You know? So taking a set of those antlers, even the, the ones that we have right now, if you just take a can of spray paint, like any can that is is similar color to that velvet color, paint them up, yeah. cut, the, cut the tips of the antlers off just a little bit and round them, and now you've got velvet antlers and you look like one of the other bucks in the bachelor group. Yeah. You know, and if you play it smart, 
they're going to look up there and they're just going to write you off as one of the other bucks in the bachelor group, whether you're poking over the hill glassing or whether you're actually trying to slip into the final stages of, a, you know, get within bow range and take a shot. Yeah. So I, I need to send you another pair that we can, I'll, I'll make them for you. I'll doctor them up like velvet antlers and, and they work great, man. Yeah. I tell you the, the mountain goat was another one that is super handy and we only used it a couple, you know, times, but, um, I was talking to Randy cooling and, was Frank with you on that hunt? Was he the one? He was the one. Hold, he's, he filmed all of it from right. the, beside me. Yeah, that film of me on the cliffs from Frank. You mm-hmm. were like, what, 27 yards from me or something? Yeah, something like that, 27, 30, something yeah, like that. Yeah, yeah, relatively close. And you had the decoy on you and the camera, right, Frank? I Is did, that... yeah, yeah. Yeah, I well, I mean, so Randy, when he went on his goat hunt, those guys use your decoy. and uh, Randy? Cooling. And there he was in Alaska on Kodiak, okay. and yep. I can't remember that. But Randy was laughing. He was like, "Dude, they use it to bring them in." Yeah. And I was like, "Oh no, no shit." He goes, "If they see one a long ways away, they'll literally two guys will get out on their hands and knees and just meander around like they're feeding." Mm-hmm. And I was like, "How comical was that?" And he goes, "It fucking worked." And I was <laughs> like, "Oh." <laughs> he, he said they use them a lot like that, and you know, I, you know, a little bit outside of the box, you know, thinking, but the 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 goat's big enough to where you have a lot more cover because it's pretty good sized. And, uh, you know, when we went up, it was just windy and and I knew I was going to end up above it and he was going to end up over to the side. So it worked out where it was actually way more conducive. Like I would have never strapped it to the bow in that situation because it was just smarter. Blowing around too hard. Yeah. Well, and just the positioning, it was smarter. Its head was poking towards left to right and I was behind it. It was just one of those cliffs that where it was under it. I could just see its hoof. Right. Uh, where Frank, he would pop up and flash it. Now, I don't know that it actually helped because it made it even more at ease and the little bastard wouldn't get up. So Frank actually ended up throwing a rock at it. Really? Uh, but when he was popping it up, it was acknowledging. He was like, oh, yeah, there's a goat. There's a goat. And I'm like, okay, I'm starting to get cold. This thing needs to move. And <laughs> what we were hoping is it would get up and walk over. It, it really, I think it probably made it more comfortable, which was in this case, more counterproductive, but it's right. still good to know that it, it, it worked. It was funny. You ended up throwing a boulder at it, actually. To get yeah, it. I think it was just in such a spot that it thought it was safe from <clears throat> pretty much anything. Because it was yeah. You were shooting like straight down on it, right? Yeah. It was pretty wild. And f- I, that's when I had hurt my shoulder. It was funny because at one point in time we were climbing to it, I, I looked at Frank because I kept falling and rocking my shoulder. And I'm like, Frank, I got to go up and around. And he's like, yeah, I'm not going up there. Not that... It was dangerous because right. you had to walk a lot farther. But right. I'm like, I got to find a new route. This is some bullshit because I kept falling down on my my shoulder. So right, um, that was a cool hunt though because um, we ended up. Well, my rangefinder couldn't range it, so it's sub ten. But I was probably twelve, fifteen feet above it when it was bedded. Right down, it was close. Um, well, it's yeah, amazing but, when you're shooting at that steep of a of an angle how easy it is to mess up. Did you make a good shot on it? That pinwheel did. I mean, it, a lot of people said it was an unethical shot. It was eight to 10 yards below me right, and slightly angled. And I shot it straight down and it clipped the top of its heart. In fact, uh, Luke has photos of the arrow coming out of its chest. Right. And it went, it was funny cause I couldn't see it. Yeah. And I'm looking at Frank. I'm like, should I go up? And Frank's like, and then it rolled by me. So yeah, we <laughs> dude, those angles are funny. My, my goat, uh, I think I shot him at like 35 or 40 yards and it was an extreme angle like that. He was directly below us coming up, uh, uh, like uh, it wasn't a cliff, but it was one of those deals where you step on one rock, the entire hill moves yeah. and scares the crap out of you. Um, and uh, I shot him a little bit high, and I thought I had cut enough 
yardage off of there, I was using an ankle compensated rangefinder, but sometimes those things will lie to you when it's that steep of an angle. And it hit him a little bit high and it went over the onside lung and clipped the top of the offside lung. Mm -hmm. And it was a long track job to get it done, but it, you know, it ended up working out, but I was this close to not getting that go. Yeah, hitting it in the, the taint, yep. the no-no area. Yep, yeah. yep, yep. It was very, very close because of that angle. So one thing I wanted to say before we get done with this is I'm excited as heck about this relationship that's uh, just got going with Bowhunter and, and Kafaru. Yeah, yeah, it'll be cool. I uh, It was funny, I was telling Bill, I ran into Bill Pellegrino at the TAC. I said, yeah, we, we got signed up with Bowhunter. The, uh, the conference call, uh, Danny was in his boat fishing. And... <laughs> Bill was laughing his ass off because I kept yelling at him like, dude, turn the motor off because you're, I think the wind was blowing and you were having to reef it around. Yeah. We were actually killing the walleyes that day, man. We were filling the, filling the cooler with walleyes out at, on John Martin Reservoir in Eastern Colorado. But yeah, that was, uh, yeah, you kept yelling at me about wind and boat motor and all kinds of stuff. But, um, yeah, we're all really, really excited about that. All the guys over at Bowhunter are, um, it's, it's cool to be able to use these packs and that's the reason that i came up here today i wasn't even expecting to do this podcast with you I was picking up a couple of packs and bringing you some decoys um but i'm excited man really yeah. excited yeah it'll be good and you know i paid attention to bow hunter for a long time and and for us you know we we had talked about like marketing wise as far as where we're going to expand and uh everything with the new ownership and kind of the new direction of the company which the direction the company is not changing other than just getting bigger um well, you know, Bow Hunter was obviously, you know, the, the the pick we wanted to go with, you know, the relationship I had with you. And then the, I mean, Bow Hunter's been around forever. Yeah. Um, so, you know, and, and we kind of, we're going to take part both in the TV show and the magazine. So we're excited about that. Yeah. Super excited, man. We're glad you're bored. Yeah. We're glad to be flying the flag and, yeah. uh, um, man, taking me through some of the packs today. It's, it's, it's mind blowing. It's a lot to wrap your head around is exactly how many, how many different options you guys have. Yeah. There's quite a few. In fact, there's probably too many. In fact, we're starting to limit down colors and stuff just because mm -hmm. Ranger green is probably our primary and then coyote Brown and military multicam. Right. Um, but you know, we, we, you know, if you can just, I, I say, I don't hate it, you know, but guys will ask online, what should I get? And the best thing to do is just get a hold of us because, you know, in, in the case of Frank and I, we hunt more than probably should be legal right. um, in multiple different, you know, parts of the U.S. and North America and in different situations. Um, and then we get to use a lot of gear so we know what fits, what doesn't. But, you know, when in doubt, certainly, you know, get a hold of us as far as if you have questions because it's not as daunting as it seems once you can get us on the horn because much like a high wind area when you're hunting mule deer, you can cancel out 90% of the mountain or, or the, the hillside from where the wind direction is blowing of where they're going to bed we can cancel out 90 percent of your options just by a short conversation to get you down to probably two packs to, right. to pick and i always tell it's like a woman you generally aren't marrying a woman for her heart she's usually got to be hot in your eyes <laughs> so you get a couple you're going to have to see which one you think looks best for you and then we can break it down from there uh and then you know for guys that are just getting our pack they might buy 20, they might buy one. You know, we have guys that rotate in and out of packs constantly. Right. But they're, they're all going to serve a specific purpose, and, and we can help it, you know, cater it to your, your specific needs and purposes. So. Right. Well, I'm, I'm excited about that hoodlum pack that you showed me today. Like, that one was the one that really 
uh, I was just looking at it and it was like, oh man, I'm going to have fun using that pack. Yeah. It was funny. We were talking earlier, um, out of happenstance, uh, well, I'll leave this as neutral as possible. Frank and I hiked into an area and found a cache and oh, three yeah. years later, the, the that, unnamed area. Yeah. That ended up later. Uh, that's Danny's. <laughs> <laughs> Shouldn't have shit in that box. My bad, dude. <laughs> yeah. It was, it's probably three or four miles of one of the worst hikes you can ask for. And we're in, like we walked right into, you know, elk country and, uh, it's bad in there. It's fucking it's horrible. It's bad in that country. And I'm like, Frank. The freaking plastic box over here. Some crazy fucker packed us in here. And that crazy <laughs> fucker was Danny Ferris. Because uh, <laughs> we were talking about it this morning. You're like, was it green Plano? And I'm like, yeah, yeah, it was a green they Plano. They found my cash. Yeah, yeah, it was pretty funny. That's um, it, it sounds like a bear found it and probably yeah. removed it from the log that I had it under up there. But uh, um, yeah, I, it, it was definitely mine. After we started looking on Google Earth, I was like, yep, yeah, yeah, that's mine. Yeah, that's pretty pretty comical. Small world for how, all the places. I mean, that spot, I don't know that I could find it again without some time. Like, I could find the general area, Yeah, but the box, a yeah. totally different story. Like, that may take some doing, but yeah, yeah. that's pretty pretty wild. So. Well, that's funny. I, I Like I said to you, up in that particular area... I'd never see, it's one of the only places I've never seen another person. Yeah. I, I saw a boot track one time and I was just devastated. <laughs> I was like, oh no. Yeah. Um, but uh, uh, it's funny that, yeah, you uh, you ended up in that same spot and found my doggone cash. I can't believe it. Yeah. Well, it was it was rough going to get there. In fact, um, I think I told you earlier, you don't have to worry about us going back there again unless you talk to me and say, hey, you want to go in there with me? Because it's not something you really are like, man, I can't wait to hike in there because you're bushwhacking the entire way. It's bad. Yeah. It's yep. bad. And it's steep. Yeah, and it's steeper to back you say Christ's you had head. heat stroke or something like that? I had something go on um, when we were in there. I um, I guess I just, I got like sweats. My I I couldn't co get my body core temperature to come down and I was, I sweated all night long. Just my bag was soaked and. I talked to Dave Hoff, and, and Dave said he's had that happen after uh, ultra marathons and, and things like that. So probably I was just trying to keep up with Frank and uh, pushed myself too hard. And it was it was hotter than a hooker in church. It was hot, <laughs> hot that day. Hotter than a hooker in church? That's not even a saying. <laughs> <I know. laughs> what, what does that mean? I don't know. My wife has a T-shirt that says sweating like a hooker in church. Yeah, uh, okay, she wears yeah. to the gym. So I um, – it, it, we had no water. It was just, we found a seep and then Frank made, uh, out of some beef jerky wrappers, kind of a, you know, a drip, Yeah. but the water was brown, brown. I mean, yeah. it was dirty. So yeah. either way, I mean, I wasn't in danger. I mean, I, I would felt better the next morning. I just, I was telling Frank, I'm like, dude, I'm, I'm hot. Like well, I'm sweating. Funny story. Do you, you, have you ever met Mike Ariakis? I don't, I don't think so. He used to own a, a pack company called Game Plan Gear. They were really gear. Yeah. innovative packs. Uh, Mike's a great, he's a good friend of mine to this day. He from PA. Um, back at that time, he was interested in trying to come out with an expedition style pack. Most of his stuff was whitetail related gear. Mm -hmm. um, so he asked me, hey, can I, you know, come out there and maybe go elk hunting with you and we'll, you know, go up into one of your haunts and, and do some R&D and things like that. So I said, sure, you know, come on this one, but get in shape before you come. And, you know, he was in his, I think both of us were probably in our late thirties, maybe right around 40. Anyway, um, 
we we go up there and for the last two miles probably i am I, i'm just having to lie to him we're almost there we're we're, we're, <laughs> that on, we're almost uh, there and i'm just like pushing him by his butt up the hill what was that movie the pet cemetery we're almost there lewis when <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah well he he makes it okay but it took so much out of him and then i think it was altitude sickness that got him that night but um when when it came time to go to bed he he was he was in his his uh little bivy tent and and out pretty quick but maybe an hour after i fell asleep i hear this danny danny <laughs> and i'm like what? what what what's wrong dude i i can't breathe i can't breathe i gotta get off this mountain i was like dude it's pitch black we we can't get you off the mountain right now man what's wrong <laughs> i feel like there's an elephant stepping on my chest dude I, I can't breathe and i i said okay mike i'm gonna load you up on ibuprofen get you some electrolytes drink this stuff got him loaded up thought i had him taken care of two hours later danny you know I, and that happened all night long and it took him Dude, I think it was two days before he fully recovered from both that hike and the combination of the hike and the elevation, I think, dude, it just, it destroyed him. And it was like day three before he could really hunt at all. Do anything. I Yeah, it, it's, you know, with, without talking about haters on the internet too much, I, occasionally we'll have someone, you know, I came out west once and it wasn't that bad. And I'm like, and what were you doing? Yeah, I mean, where'd you go? Yeah, it's it just depends. Like you can, you can hunt some relatively easier areas, but um, and I'm not saying that backpack hunting is the whole way. And, no. and by all means, I hope you guys don't backpack hunt. But I, uh, you can really burn yourself out. Like I don't know. Well, Frank, he got pulmonary edema the one time, and you've probably what's the most you've lost? Like 10, 12 pounds on a hunt? Yeah, probably some of yeah. Like yeah, I've lost eighteen. Well. You can't when I got Giardia, I got down in the 180s. I'm way that's in seventh grade, but mm-hmm. you can really take a toll on your body. And generally, I say the healthy amount of weight to lose is two pounds per week, pound and a half. And mm-hmm. in seven days, I've dropped 18. So, you know, take it for what it's worth. That's water weight and whatever else. But you're, you know, I pissed blood a couple of times, kidneys rubbing together, no water. Yeah, you got to, you know, like a little bit of pain to, to like backpack. Well, dude, that. Uh, that particular area that we're talking about one year, me and my buddy, JD Gossage went in there and we weighed ourselves like before that trip. And I think I was two Oh four at the time. And when we came out of that, when we came out of there nine days later, we were in there for nine days. It was one of the long ones. I think I was 187 <laughs> when I came out of there, which was, yeah. I, I mean, and, and that was eating my normal daily routine you know it's just but getting up and down through that stuff is just it's incredible it it takes it out of you yeah well i'd say what's your watch say what do you burn calories a day it doesn't do it so i i'm usually between 28 and 3200 which watch are you running uh phoenix six solar oh i got the phoenix five not quite as fancy as yours, but I love it. I had a Tommy Topper, you um, yeah, and it, but it does steps and calories or what, and you yeah. know, it's roughly accurate. So you figure like, and that's if you know I'm shooting at the range and maybe do a little cardio and normal work. And so, 3,200, 2,800 calories a day, you're doubling that on a on a backpack hunt at a minimum. Oh, um, yeah. you know, and not to include when you're freezing, that's burning calories. When you're hot, you're burning calories, and then the climbs, and then. You know, your weight that's added into the watch is your weight without a pack. Yeah. Um, so, you know, if you 
chuck on 30 pounds of, you know, your pack or 65 for a, you know, nine day hunt, you're going to be at 55, 65 pounds on a nine, 10 day hunt. You usually, depending on what you're bringing, sometimes a little less. Well, if you entered your weight of 200 pounds, you, you, you know, to get accurate for going in at the very least, it needs mm-hmm. to be 265 because you're burning more calories. So it can, um, I've had some eight, 10,000 foot gain and loss days of, of elevation and, uh, 8,000 foot. Yeah, in a day, in in that range for sheep. Wow, man. Yeah, yeah that's tough. Yeah, that that's rough. Mm, I think that one day, I would bet we hit eight that day. It was actually funny. So we we had a buddy that um, is fitter than he should be, and Frank is fit. Mm-hmm. Now I'd say you're a lot more fit now than you were at that time. But um, he came back to make sure Frank was okay, and Frank wasn't stalling right and that that was a that was probably an eight thousand foot gain and loss day god yeah it sucked because it's some of those spots uh in different mountain ranges in colorado you're starting at 8800 and you're finishing at 12 8 yeah just yeah. to get there not yeah. including what else goes on so yeah yeah, yeah. and super steep stuff and, and it, you know it's funny you talk about hunting goats well hunting goats here in colorado is is a little bit different than hunting them in you know, up in Alaska or something like that, because what are you, what kind of elevation are you talking about there when you're goat hunting? Oh, I think, what were we at? 35 to 5,500 in Alaska. Maybe, maybe. It wasn't even that high. We didn't breathe hard nor sweat much. It wasn't bad. These goat hunts here at 13,000 feet, man, that is just. I I just took a guy into G16 and, uh, you know, we did a big loop just scouting for goats. And this is what last week, I guess. And, uh, you know, we started at 10, we ended up at 12-2, hiked down a little, came back up, did a loop, and then, you know, whatever, ended up back at, you know, whatever, 10-something. You know, so in that day, it was probably 6, you know, yeah. um, and, and we did that, you know, we were done by 1 o'clock in the mm-hmm. afternoon, 2 o'clock, and, uh, you know, I was looking at my watch, and, and I only put on 18,000 steps, that, when I say only, but you could shoot at a 3D course or a practice range and put on sure quite a few well, those were 18,000 very rough steps. And the downhill was just as bad oh, as yeah. the up. Yeah. Um, you know, plus there's no water up there, so that was kind of a problem. And, and uh, you know, it's just a, a burn. And, he was, t- you know, he was sore for several days. Time. Yeah, if you're not used to that kind of climbing. Yeah. Uh, I'm lucky I live at 10, so I got a lot of, what's my, your red, my red blood cell bit. count? Yeah, yeah, white blood cell, whatever, red. One of them. One of them's high. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You're at 10 right there at your house? Nine, eight, and change. Yeah, yeah I'm I'm at 7,200, which is is up there a little bit, but I still. I, where, where do you start feeling the elevation? What at what point, like, can you tell? Oh, but, well, living at 10, it's going to be higher. That's pretty high. I would. What do you think? I could feel it at 10, because that's where, uh, <clears throat> like, when we go mule deer hunting, yeah, that's where the trail starts. About 10. I'm like, damn. Yeah, I, and I don't feel it right off the bat now, like what we just did. I think I told you, like, it's a difference because I, you know, I didn't feel anything until we got up to 12. Right. And, and even then I wasn't nearly as bad as I normally am. I will say like, I took Amy to 13 drove scouting for goats and mm-hmm. we were ridge running it from there. I felt it at 13 last year. I was like, whoo, a little oh, bit yeah. less oxygen. This high. Yeah. You know, just climbs like where you could normally go for couple hundred yards straight i was going 50 yards and then you know taking a breath so. see i i like it about eleven thousand feet is where i'm like holy crap this is a there's a definite difference you know ten thousand, i can't really tell yeah, <laughs> yeah that's exactly right Eleven thousand, you get above that and it's like 
Oh, man. It takes, for me, I got to be close to 13 where I get short lengths of breaths at night. Yeah. Which, for anybody who hasn't camped at that high, when you're laying there, you'll start to sleep and you'll wake up going, <laughs> and then have a couple and go back to bed. Danny. Yeah, exactly. Danny. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well. Or Mike. Yeah, no. <laughs> uh, we've been on hour and a half here, so we probably should hop off. Time and, flies. Yeah, it does. Um, but, man, thanks for coming on. And, and tell everybody your website and everything before I forget. It's ultimatepredatorgear.com. And uh, the name of that line of decoys we've been talking about is Stalker Decoys. We've also got another line called Wind Drifter Decoys that are pretty cool, too. We've got a couple new products coming this year, uh, uh, a bow stand uh, that is really cool. It's not only useful for when you're using our decoys, kind of like you were talking about sitting down, taking a break. You can throw that little bow stand on real quick. Thing will stand up in front of you so your decoy is upright and you can grab the bow and take a shot if you need to. Um, but if you're a ground blind hunter or anybody just shooting on 3D range, uh, the legs of it twist together, go up in your quiver. It's pretty sweet. And gotcha. it'll be out hopefully during September. Cool, cool. All right. Well, everybody check that out. And yeah, thanks again for, for coming on and, and, and getting the uh, partnership with, with Bowhunter as well. No, no. Thank you. I appreciate your hospitality and uh, good luck, everybody, this fall. Yep. Good luck.